The following Dharma talk on copying the sutra was recorded live July 25th, 2010. This is Rusho Jeffess. We're looking for our online listeners to help us out. If you stream or download an MP3 or podcast, please consider making a donation to support this effort to share the Dharma. We are glad to offer these files for free, and we would be grateful if you would go to our webpage and make a secure donation to the temple via PayPal. So today I would like to talk a little bit about the practice of copying the sutra, or as it's uh, known in Japanese as shakyo. The Lotus Sutra, the primary uh, sutra, for Nichiren Buddhism is fairly unambiguous in its instructions on how to practice, for it tells us specifically in several places throughout the text that we should keep, read, recite, copy, and teach the Lotus Sutra. Some of you are aware that as part of our third year celebration, we are collecting handwritten copies of chapter 21 from the Lotus Sutra. Others of you those who have begun attending in the last couple of months and our guests here to, uh, may not be aware of this, and so I would like to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about it. I'd also like to take the opportunity to tell you a little bit about a famous woman Buddhist, the Empress Komyo from Japan. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> Before I begin, I would like to thank uh, Sally Tisdale for her book, which I'm using as a reference in part of this Dharma talk. Sally Tisdale is the author of a book titled Women of the Way, Discovering 2,500 Years of Buddhist Wisdom. Several years ago, while I was uh, living in and training in Portland, Oregon, I had the opportunity to attend a book talk she gave at the Dharma Rain Zen Center, which is located only a few blocks from the Portland Mitra Chu Temple. So I would like to share uh, with you her dedicatory passage at the beginning of the book. Quote, Dedicated to all the old women, refreshment sellers, little girls, rice cake vendors, lay women, princesses, wandering nuns, courtesans, and goddesses who endlessly preach the Dharma in countless stories and are never named. End quote. So, what uh, Sally has done in this book is uh, dedicate this book. She's tried to uh, try to go through and uncover as many of the unwritten women in Buddhist history the unnamed women. And there are, there are many, many, many. Us guys did a really poor job of letting the women's light shine through. So, uh, so it's women's, women's uh, 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 wonder, uh, beauty and the guy's shame. So. so one of the many things the Lotus Sutra is noteworthy for, among all the other Buddhist teachings, is the inclusion of women into the Sangha and their equality with all others in ability of attaining enlightenment. The Lotus Sutra is the, uh, the first sutra that at its core really teaches the equality of women. Uh, Theravadan or Hinayana uh, certainly uh, denies the possibility of women ever attaining enlightenment in this lifetime. The Lotus Sutra is noteworthy for two references to women attaining enlightenment. One being the famous story of the Dragon King's daughter, 
who became enlightened effortlessly. And the other is the prediction of future enlightenment of the Buddha's mother and all the nuns she represented. These were truly revolutionary pronouncements, for until this time, some 2,500 years ago, it was believed that women could never attain enlightenment, for they possessed the five impossibilities. Women have almost universally been relegated to the status of either second class or unclean. And yet, throughout the history of Buddhism, throughout history, not just in Buddhism, but in every religion and culture, we find countless examples of the exemplary and heroic actions of women, both as religious practitioners and as cultural leaders. Nietzsche, the founder of our order, in a famous letter, wrote to a woman he had, who had concerns about practicing the Lotus Sutra while she was having her menstrual cycle. He advised her that under no circumstances should she feel that because of the natural biological function of a woman's body, under no circumstances should she separate herself from the wonderful dharma of the Lotus Sutra. That while society may have imposed certain restrictions on a woman in her period, the Buddha did not. Of course, I have greatly paraphrased and condensed here, but I think uh, Alan, who's familiar with this, uh, knows that uh, that was the gist of the, the letter. Um, but Nietzsche was making that women have no greater or lesser propensity for enlightenment than men just because they are women, and certainly not because of the biology of their bodies. In Sally Tisdale's book, she has a chapter devoted to a very famous woman in history of the Lotus Sutra in Japan, the Empress Komyo, from 701 to 760. <clears throat> Komyo's life spanned a transitory time in Japanese history and the history of Buddhism in Japan. Shortly before her birth, the country called Yamato became Nihon, or Japan, meaning the source of the sun. During this time, Buddhism became very powerful and influential in Japanese government. Komyo's grandfather had been a Nakatomi, Nakatomi, the family that traditionally held Shinto rites, while the Fujiwaras were responsible for administration of the government. Komyo's grandfather was granted the name Fujiwara as a gift from the emperor. And after that, the family business became government instead of Shinto. So, as a result of their involvement in government, they became Buddhists, because Buddhism was part of the life of the court. So, in 710, Nara became the first permanent capital of Japan, though it was called Heijokyo in the Citadel of Peace. And as time went on, Buddhism exerted greater and greater control and influence even overshadowing Shinto, and in fact came into control of many Shinto shrines. In 720, Komyo's mother became a Buddhist nun uh, while mourning the death of her husband. Komyo's mother's husband. Modifier there. With, without going into all the details, let me briefly say that eventually Komyo became the empress. Not solely because she was married to the emperor, because that's not automatic. Um, but uh, just because you're married to the emperor doesn't make you the empress. You have to be appointed the empress. So when Komyo became the empress, she uh, for once had some real power. And, as Miss Tisdale recounts in her book, she began to use it. Komyo looked all around her and saw the suffering of the people. The early death of children. She too had lost uh, her first child in, uh, shortly after birth. After the child's birth. She had a temple 
she had a temple built in honor of that child. And the temple's name was Kinshoji. Then she established the Hiden-in and the Seyaku-in, charities that gave medicine and food to the poor. She insisted that Shomu, she insisted that Shomu her husband, the emperor, build way stations so that laborers on their way home could eat and rest. According to the story, one day Komyo visited her mother at her mother's hermitage, and there she saw a copy of the Lotus Sutra that her mother had made herself. Her mother proclaimed that she had copied it and that it was a wonderful practice. Komyo began to copy the Lotus Sutra herself. Quoting from Sally's book, she commissioned a sutra desk of her own in dyed persimmon wood with, back, with black bamboo fittings and gilt bronze edgings engraved with clouds. She invited her chief, uh, she invited her chief maid to join her, and then her other maids, and they began to spend long afternoons over reams of paper, practicing each elaborate Chinese character time and time again before committing it to the scroll. The Lotus Sutra was a life's work, wonderful practice, and yet not enough for Komyo's exploding devotion." End quote. Skipping many of the details in Sally's, uh, uh, in Sally's book, soon Komyo had her husband, the emperor, doing it as well, copying the sutra. And then he issued edicts that centers be set up to have professional copyists also do the work of copying the sutra. Uh, Sally uh, notes in here, quite uh, tongue-in-cheek, that um, uh, uh, Komyo's husband, the emperor, loved to issue edicts. Um, he was really famous for all the, um, the laws that he promulgated. So the Empress Komyo is famous in Japanese history for her support and devotion of, to the Lotus Sutra. Her efforts can be said to have been very instrumental in the spread of the Lotus Sutra in the early history of Buddhism in Japan. And this is just one example of the faith and influence of women in the history of Buddhism and on the spread of the Lotus Sutra. It is also a good example of an individual carrying out the sacred meditative practice of copying the Sutra as the Buddhist instructs us. Uh, one of the things that every priest does uh, while they're in the monastery the, uh, before they become ordained is uh, we write out uh, a copy of uh, chapter 16, the entire chapter 16, which is the uh, most important chapter in the Lotus Sutra. So every priest has has one of these. And uh, are you copying this yourself, George? Yeah. Yeah, you can't have your neighbor copy because he's copying his. So he doesn't have time to copy one for you. So and you don't have much time to do this. So 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 here is here is my copy. And it's quite long, so you can see it on the scroll. Now, I'm not a very good calligrapher, so uh, so it doesn't, you know, maybe to you it doesn't look bad, but I'm sure you can see blotchy letters and nice dead letters, and you know, it's light and dark and stuff like that. So, so anyway, uh, but uh, the truly, truly meditative practice of this is uh, you practice each character before you put it down on the scroll. And in fact, uh, in November, I'll bring out copies that the Atlanta Sangha, the Atlanta folks down there, have done some really beautiful 
of calligraphic copies of the Lotus Sutra. So we copy this. I don't know where I am on my notes here. I'm ad-libbing. We copy this. Not uh, originally, you know, the intent for copying was for transmission, you know, because uh, they didn't have printing presses, modern uh, copying methods. So, so the you know the intent for copying was on sharing the Buddhist teachings with another person or with some other people, and uh, and so, but even still, you know, just like uh, we know that <coughs> the copyist who originally uh, copied the Bible. They were very painstaking <clears throat> with their efforts to uh, copy the Bible, making sure that uh, they made no mistakes. In the same way, copying the sutra, you know, making no mistakes. There's a special way, uh, if, you, if you should make a mistake, there's a special way of fixing mistakes uh, when you copy the sutra on a scroll like this. So, um, and, and just as, you know, the uh, scribes of uh, Western culture, when they copied Bibles and of Islam, they illuminated the texts. Um, you know, it was meant to really uh, celebrate the, uh, the, the glory of the, the text, the beauty, the, the wonder of the text, the faith of the person doing the inscribing. So originally, that was the purpose of copying the text, was so there'd be more copies to pass around. Uh, and now we look at copying the text as, uh, well, why do it? I can just run to, you know, Kinko's and just run off some copies, you know, or I can, you know, just copy and paste in my computer and send a PDF or something like that. But it's not just to uh, make another copy, to give to someone. To create a relationship with the sutra itself. And that's why I picked out chapter 21, because it specifically addresses the transmission of the Lotus Sutra to the practitioner, the people who practice in this day and age. So I know that for many, the act of copying the Lotus Sutra or chapters from the sutra is somewhat less than exciting. I know that some feel that the need for handwriting copies of the sutra is a practice whose time is outdated. And with the advent of modern methods of reproduction, we don't need to do it. Initially, copying the sutra was for the purpose of propagation, especially early on, before printing techniques had been developed. But during the time of Empress Komyo, printing of the sutra was possible and did in fact exist. The Chinese having already invented printing techniques. Though printed books were rare and expensive, they did exist. But the religious practice of copying the sutra is also more than, more than a means of reproduction. It is a difficult and exacting meditative practice that on the one hand cultivates discipline as well as the opportunity to greater understanding and appreciation of the Buddha's golden words. Nietzsche stated on numerous occasions that each single character of the Lotus Sutra was indeed a golden Buddha. He gave that much importance to each character that none was to be considered lightly. The Lotus Sutra is composed of 69,384 characters. All of the characters combining the Lotus Sutra, of all the characters, combining, uh, characters comprising the Lotus Sutra, there's only 17,400 or so unique characters with some characters serving double duty or meaning many different things. 
So you can see just from that the power and beauty of the concise writing that makes up the Lotus Sutra. It is true that uh, much of that is lost as we read the English translation because our, our language requires so many more words to connect words together than the Chinese does. Even the Japanese language versions are longer and not nearly as concise or compact. Even though, that much, even though much of that is lost in English translation, we should never consider any word insignificant in the Lotus Sutra. So, we copy it to, on the one hand, celebrate the beauty, concise nature of the teaching, and the opportunity to embrace it with our whole lives, while meditatively applying ink to paper, just as the Buddha instructs. Outside in the front of our temple, we have erected a stupa to the Lotus Sutra, on which is written Odaimoku, or the sacred title, Namu Myoho Nenge Kyo, the distillation of the entire teaching contained within the sutra. Also, there is a passage from chapter 21, which proclaims that anywhere a copy of this sutra is kept, a stupa should be erected because it is the place of enlightenment of all beings. So in a few weeks, we'll mark our third year here in this building. When in 2007, the first weekend of August, we had our first service in this place. Alan was here. Over the last three years, there have been many things that we have accomplished as a Sangha while we have tried to practice the Buddha's teaching containing the Lotus Sutra. As part of our commemoration of this, I propose that we each hand write out chapter 21 from the Lotus Sutra, where the Buddha transmits to the Bodhisattvas from beneath the ground the great endeavor, the mission of spreading the Lotus Sutra in the age of the degeneration of the Dharma, that period some 2,000 plus years after the Buddha's passing. My thinking on suggesting this was that we could leave a record of our efforts for future generations. My proposal is that these copies would be put in a sealed capsule, which would be buried at the base of the stupa outside. I will prepare an instruction for future priests to dig up this capsule in 50 years, probably long after I am deceased. I would like for the future generations to be inspired by our efforts today to continue in our mission of sharing the Buddha Dharma with people in our society. I'm also hoping that as each of us copies this chapter in English, that we will take to heart the significance of the transmission that takes place in chapter 21 from the Buddha to our very selves. Because we've had so many uh, new people join with us these past few weeks, I would like to propose that we extend the deadline for turning in these handwritten copies of chapter 21 until October, when we celebrate the memorial of Nietzsche Chon. Is that okay with you? Fine. Is that okay with everybody else? Thank you. So I hope that those of you who have already submitted your copies will not be too upset with this extension. Perhaps you've already done one copy and would like to do another. That's okay. <laughs> and for those of you who have just joined with us, perhaps you would like to uh, submit a copy as a record of your lives and your interest in the Dharma of the Lotus Sutra. I'm so hoping that some of you who are much younger than I am can actually be here when it is dug up 50 years from now. Just the thought uh, that some of you may continue to practice or be associated with this temple is enough to bring tears to my eyes when it's ready. So I would really, it would really be nice if by that time you all would have long outgrown this location 
and will have moved the capsule to a larger building. That would be okay. But it will be enough if the presence of Nietzschean Buddhism still exists in Charlotte, regardless of the size of the building. It will be enough if there are, ju if there are people just like today, from all walks of life, who are enjoying the benefit of abiding in the Buddha Dharma. I would like to close this Dharma talk with the words attributed to Empress Komyo from Sally Tisdale's book. Quote, we can't copy fast enough. There isn't enough time in our lives, in a hundred lives. Everyone must do this so that everyone can read the sutras. End quote. Then the emperor issued an edict commanding the provinces to erect statues of the Buddha and to copy a chapter of the Lotus Sutra. A few months later, the empress told the emperor, quote, it isn't enough, end quote. With that, I would like to, uh, Alan, uh, who is, his uh, nickname is Donut Alan. Cake Alan should be back with us next week. He should be back on vacation. Anyway, Donut Alan has brought donuts. That's why we call him Donut Alan, because he brings donuts occasionally. And uh, so we have some donuts in there to share some iced tea. And uh, so we'll go ahead and close by chanting Odai Boku three times, the phrase that's written on the banner. Uh, I will chant the first time solo, and then everybody joins in on the second. Thank you.